Six Nations and six amazing chances to win an unforgettable adventure for you and five mates in a Six Nations European host city of your choice. To take part, enter online now at greenking.co.uk slash rugby. Six Nations, six mates and six international rugby getaways worth £3,000. Scrum down and sign up to win at greenking.co.uk slash rugby and watch all the Six Nations action live at your local Green King pub. Terms and conditions apply 18 plus drinkaware.co.uk. Hi, it's Alfie here, the presenter of The Ruck. Before we get to this week's episode, I want to tell you about Funding Circle. Funding Circle backs small and medium UK businesses with simple, competitive business finance. They've supported over 90,000 British businesses with £12 billion in finance since 2010. So if you're looking to overcome challenges or push your business forward, Funding Circle provides finance that backs you and your business to succeed. And for that reason, they've teamed up with Saracens and England hooker Jamie George. Visit FundingCircle.com to find out how Jamie is growing his business backed by Funding Circle. Funding Circle, business finance that backs you. Hello, everybody. Welcome to The Ruck. And today it's a Ruck special. I hope you caught Owen Slot and the guys with the normal weekly uh, segment. Today, much more important to just me and the man sitting opposite me, Wayne Barnes, in my opinion. And uh, this this has been contested widely, the best referee that there is. And Wayne, on the verge of the Six Nations, is going to talk to us about how he sees it, whether he still loves it, and all the things that wind us up about referees. So it's a seven-hour programme uh, <laughs> this week. Uh, for, for, just before we start, a massive big shout-out to Patrick Finn and Reading Colts rugby team preparing for their uh, Sunday league match against Newbury in the BBO League. Uh, good luck, guys, and especially to Alex Baxi Bax, the conscience of the team. Six Nations is a tournament played under constant pressure. Obviously, the, the coaches, the players are under pressure, all aspects of it. Even now and again, the journalists are, because uh, we have to file our stuff before all you guys out there have sipped your first pint, let alone downed it. But is there anyone under more pressure than referees? Wayne Barnes is with me, not looking particularly anxious, but Wayne, even with you, after 77 test matches, do the nerves start kicking in? Well, first, thanks for the intro, Steve. Um, you know, best referee in the world title. You know, all the, that brown envelope that I just passed on the table, yeah, obviously, you know, know, uh, did well. Um, very kind of you. There's not much in it, but thanks anyway. <laughs> um, I'm from a Welshman, you know, it gets even better. You know, I don't get praise from a Welshman very often. Um, and thanks for inviting me in. It's been great to be here. Um, one thing, though, Steve, if I don't, you don't mind me mentioning, you know, glass of water as I arrived. And I was listening to your podcast last week and there was talks of bacon butties there was talk of pasties all down at extra nothing in sight there's a, there's a glass well we don't like to uh, live up to our image when you're around anyway oh. we, we, we we can be boys and white no sorry there is nothing in sight and um i'm afraid there's nothing afterwards either but um thanks for coming anyway well, well, uh, <laughs> pleasure and pressure steve um yeah 77 in games yeah, they're all different, and the Six Nations always serves up something different. Um, and that's, you know, a bit like you. You said there's pressure on you, there's p- pressure on coaches, there's pressure on us. The more you do this, the slightly easier it gets because mm. you've got that experience to fall back on. You know, so, you know, take last year when you're over in France and, you know, against Wales at the end of it. Um, a lot going on in that game. 
and uh, you go back to your experiences. You think, right, what do I do in these situations? Who do I speak to? Which players are, are my, you know, my allies? Um, and you you work on that kind of knowledge and that experience that you've built up over the last twelve years of refereeing the, the Six Nations. Did, did, did that did that that incident at the end of the France Wales game, mm-hmm. where we're like sort of half an hour into injury time? But can anything prepare you for that? Because you've got the French props um, trying to, to replace each other, Slimani and Antonio. You've got a bloke running on who claims to be the French team doctor. I suppose he was the French team doctor. Then you're going back to penalty after penalty after penalty. Eventually, the, 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 game, the game is won. Is there anything more difficult than that, though? Well, the Premiership is a good like bedding for referees. You know, week in, week out, twenty-two rounds. Um, we're really up against it. We've got some cracking teams. We've got some cracking coaches. You know, and that's why we're seeing a good um, young group of referees coming through from the Premiership. So you take that experience that you've got from there and take it into situations like Paris. So you know, when you've got a doctor saying someone's injured. Hmm. Very hard for a referee who's not not medically trained to say no, he's not. You've got to trust those uh, the medics on the day, you know, and that's something that we've seen before in other games. And so on that day, I said, look, right, okay, you're the doctor. What are you telling me? And he said, he's injured. He needs a head assessment. So off he goes. And we had other things, you know, people, allegations of biting during that game. So again, you go back to your experiences in the Premiership, where you know we've had that before. Bad allegations made on the pitch. So you say, right, you tell me who did it and where he did it. And we'll have a look at it. And there mm. wasn't no you know, proof of that. So again, you're listening to the players. You're building that relationship with the players. You know, and that was, you know, George North came up to me. I knew he thought what had happened, and he said, "Barnsley, can you check it?" So of course you'll check it because mm. that relationship that's so special in rugby between the players and the and the referees was really evident that day. Uh, it brings up another point there. Doesn't that come under the heading of appealing to the ref? I think there's a bit of difference, isn't there? You know, if you've got the constant screaming of holding on, holding on, holding mm. on, that becomes a plan. But, you know, some, you drop someone on your toe, the first thing you do is shout, ow! Yeah. You know, it's an instant reaction. Someone jumps up and says, I've been bitten. It's not someone trying to buy a penalty. It's someone saying, I've just been bitten. Yeah. Um, so I think as a referee, we want to keep that human side and we, you know, we want it to stay what's special about our sport. And what's special is me and... Um, you know, um, Rob Howley after that match, sitting down having a beer and chatting about it. Or, mm. you know, me and, and the French uh, coach, Guy Nové and Yannick Bruce sitting down and discussing what happened in that game. And we want those players to um, to trust us, to, you know, use our, our nous on those kind of times. And that's what you've got to do on those big games. Even for you, did it not, you know, you've got, you've got whatever, 70,000 Frenchmen screaming, you know the world's watching on TV. You've got Wales losing a game which they thought they they thought they'd won, and probably you know some of them probably think they deserve to win. Even for you, then, do you not is there not something something in the back of your head saying, "Oh my God, can I be somewhere else?" <laughs> well, you start off of the day and you're looking around and you know you listen to the Marseillaise and then you listen to the Welsh anthem and you don't want to be anywhere else. It's that yeah. special, you know. You know what it's like down over in Paris or down even down in Wales, which is really special when the roofs mm. close and those uh, you know the hymns and harriers start there is nothing better you know to be right in the middle on those days like that it's a challenge you know you sometimes you have to write a challenging piece so a player has to play a challenging game that is a challenge and you've got to step up to the mark on that you know mm. and you've got to trust your instincts you've got to trust your experience and you know that's what I did on that day and if you start thinking about what if and who's watching and what's going to happen there you start making really bad decisions you've just got to really take each decision on, on its own and so like, you might have made 
you know, you make a mistake in the first um, minute of a game. If you dwell on that for the next 79 minutes, you're going to have a shocker. And this is what always admires, I always admire about the cricket umpires. You know, how do you go from, you know, first session of day one, make a howler, and then mm. day five, you're still making decisions. So, you know, that's what you do on days like France. Uh, we should have pointed out at the start, actually, that Wayne's a very successful barrister at Fulcrum Chambers. I looked him up on their website and it said he prosecutes and also defends in cases. Is that the same case or is that a diff- two different cases? <laughs> Pretty talented who prosecute and defend. You know, I could like, <laughs> right, give, right. predict those cases, Steve. <laughs> the, the also uh, arguably even greater achievement than the it's a high flying barrister career is that you are the record holder for the Premiership. You've you, you've 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 refereed more games, 191 in the Premiership than the guy who was your hero and who had the old record of 190, which was Chris White. Now. 191 games in the Premiership. You look back, like, he's serious? He could possibly have done that that many games and still be alive? No, that just means you've been around a long time. It's like you. How many times have you written in the Sunday Times? I, 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 I don't have to have Cockers, Cockers and Dean Richards and John Kingston screaming at me after. Is there, is there anything, in a way, I'm not talking about the class of the competition, although I think it's really good, is there anything more difficult than that once you've done that? Is even, are even internationals more difficult? Some Premiership games, you know, and you you look at some of the games that been, you know I've been involved in, you know, the Leicester Northampton games, you know, some cracking finals, you know, even just you know Exeter Sarahs a couple of years ago, they're special games. Exeter down at um, with Sarahs down them in the semi final last year. All those games are Test match, you know, intensity, you know, and you learn your Test match ability from those games down in Sandy Park or at Alliance or at Welford Road. So, um, it's a great grounding. Um, mm. But 191 games, you know, when you I first kicked off down in Bath, down at a wreck back in 2003. You never think I'll still be doing this in 15 years' time. Sure, um, sure. But still massively enjoy it, massively enjoy the challenge. And, you know, and what it allows you to do is step up to those big occasions like Marseille and round three of the Six Nations. You know, does it get much better than, than that? Sure. Do, do, do you um, think that the general rugby public and rugby players and coaches actually know anything more about the laws than they did in the old days? Because it, it, it must cheese you off when you give a decision. You know it's correct. The tit judges know it's correct, but everyone in the crowd thinks it's wrong. Do you, do you ever think, for God's sake, get a life and read the law book? Um, I also think that we've got a job to do as referees. If we start giving decisions which are really technical and no one understands apart from us, then is it really the right decision? So, you know, the best referees out there, I think, are the ones who give a decision, explain it, don't go into, you know, chapter and verse, but a one-liner. So, you know, my mum who's sitting up in a stand with the ref link ears on knows what I'm giving it, or the, mm. the punters who are sitting at home because they can't get a ticket know exactly what, what it's for. So I think we've got a job to do. And, you know, and the best players in the world have no doubt they know the law book inside out, and that's why you know I know he wasn't everyone's, um, not everyone thought he was um, always on the right side of the law. But there was a reason why Richie McCall was so good at the breakdown, and he mm. knew the law book inside out, and he would challenge you as a referee, and he would mm. say, "You sure on that one?" And often he would be right, and you'd be wrong. God, he was right a heck of a lot of times for a guy who played close to the wind. Let's say that anyway. <laughs> on the subject of uh, of dissent from the touchlines, etc., and 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 us not knowing the laws or knowing some of the laws, etc. There's there's a number of areas w- which really wind people up. Probably the, the more more the uh, the people at home watching on TV or the people in the crowd who paid their you know they've got probably got a right to complain. They paid all that money. But um, for a start, can you just take us through what's going to happen now between between now and the Six Nations in terms of your preparation? Do you get together with all the other referees to 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 standardise everything? Yeah. So what's what's been great over the last 
probably 12 months we started to develop the relationship with the coaches as well so um, on Wednesday of this week so 10 days out before the Six Nations all the Six Nations coaches the top three or four referees who are available at the moment um, are all sitting down over at Heathrow mm. for a chat to discuss how November looked were we on the right track as referees um, are there any items that need tightening up are there anything that needs changing that we've got time to change and a really nice example of that was post Six Nations last year we all sat down and said well, what did the Six Nations um, look like and the Seven Hemisphere boys came up as well mm-hmm. and it was clear that there was something wrong with the laws with the Italy-England situation you know because it didn't look right it wasn't good for the game Italy really smart and played the laws to a T but there was a general consensus among the coaches that we need to change this, we can't have this. We sat down and said, well, how about we try and introduce this new law? And you've seen it this year where there's an offside line now at the tackle. Um, you know, as long as one man is standing over, that creates an artificial ruck. We have an offside line. So that can't happen this year. So we're seeing the game evolve really quickly when there's a need. But just before you go on from that, I'd say, look, of all the people who are, who infringe the laws sometimes deliberately and get away with it, Italy were just playing the law book. I thought they were wonderful. I, I, it was it was a great piece of mastery of the law book. Yeah. Um, but there was a decision, you know, between the coaches. This wasn't, um, you know, the referee saying this is outrageous. This was a coach sitting down in a room saying we need to change this. And, you know, the great coaches are the ones who get the laws and just, you know, find a little, you know, a, a little inroad into them. And they'll be doing that now with the new laws. There was a general feel that that wasn't what we wanted to see on a rugby pitch. And so there was a little amendment in the laws on the back of that. But, but why would why would the, you allow the, the coaches to do that? I mean, when it comes down to it, I know you should be in contact with them for standardisation and to, to, to answer their queries. But at the end of the day, you are policing the, the law book, maybe with with a certain uh, lightness of touch. But wh- why should they ever say? Because if I'm if I'm Eddie Jones and I was kind of my coaching was humiliated that day, I'm going to I don't want it to, to happen again. Yeah, but I mean that's that's only because it, he got stung. But if all the other coaches said, well you know yeah we don't believe there is an issue then it wouldn't have changed but this was a consensus in the room among the you know all the the top coaches in the world and you use the word policeman it's not for the policeman to decide what the laws of the the street are you know they go and police them and that's what we do you know we listen we give our expert opinions um and then we go out and police those laws uh, you haven't had the meeting yet, but um, what, what sort of areas will you, will you be going into when you, when all the Six Nations refs get together? Um, so that that's with the coaches, and then um, on the back of that, the following week, so we'll be about four or five days out from um, Six Nations. That's when everyone starts to come in from the, the north and the south, and we'll sit down as a group, take on board what the coaches have asked us to prioritise. But, you know, it won't be surprising. It'll be the, the tackle and the breakdown will be top of the list because that's what creates a cracking game if you get quick ball you know of course defense is allowed to slow and legally slow if they're on their feet but if you get rid of that negative tactic we could lie on the wrong side and we get teams attacking so we'll definitely look at uh, the breakdown we'll look at the set piece we'll look at scrum always look at scrum and how do we make sure that teams aren't negative and we're trying to encourage teams to play away from eight so we get you know those those big eights you know we want to see those eights picking off and launching great attacks off the scrum. Um, so we'll be looking at how we can make sure that the scrum is a positive aspect of the game. And I'm sure that the driving mall is going to be something that we see a bit more of. And we saw a little bit over the weekend in Europe of what an attacking weapon that can be. And we saw and mentioned extra Saracens earlier on in, um, this podcast. And 
what an attacking weapon that was in the 79th minute of the semi-final of the mm. Premiership. You know, So I think we'll see a bit of discussion around that as well. Can I give you another attacking weapon? The scrum used to be an attacking weapon. It's still supposed to be the engine of the game, and it's still in the uh, philosophy of the inter- of World Rugby on their site as one of the precepts of the game. Why should the number eight play away from the scrum? If the ball's at my feet and I'm the number eight and I fancy taking them on, why have I got someone, the ref in my ear, telling me to play it? I want to keep the ball there. And if I, if I can drive it five yards or even one yard, I want to do so. Why should I play away from the scrum? Oh, I totally agree on that, Steve. If, the, if you've got a team who are looking to go forward and it's starting to move forward, we should encourage that. And we saw you know, a fantastic piece of scrummaging this weekend over in Munster. You know, we, sh- we saw that as an attacking weapon. Um, and if teams are going forward, we'll encourage it. We'll say, you know, you carry on. If you want mm. a penalty from it, that's a, that's a coaching decision. If you want to go forward and then launch, you know, a great mm. attacking move from eight. But what was happening, and one of the reasons we've um, encouraged teams to move the ball away at eight, is we were having the ball rolled in. It was sitting in the tunnel, and we were having 10, 15 seconds of nothing. Um, no one going forward, no one hooking the ball. So we've said, you've got to hook the ball. One of the the new laws of um, from the start of the season, and once you hook the ball, if it gets to number eight, hmm. and it's clearly stationary, you get an opportunity to use it. But as soon as it's stationary, we're not just going to wait there for ten, fifteen seconds until someone gives up, because what usually happens is either the ground gives up or both of them gives up at the same time, and then we have a mess and we've lost a minute of the game. And we want to see the ball in play, keep the power of the scrum, but just make sure it's you know a team who are trying to attack going forward, not just uh, keeping the ball sitting there. But, but I, st- I still think, look, when you're asking someone to play the ball at the back of a, a, a ruck, uh, fair enough, eventually they're, they're going to they're they're do it, they've got to do it, because the, the ruck's on the floor, they're not going anywhere. But if I'm going to drive and I think I've got the better scrummage, I, I, I can't get my drive on in two or three or four seconds. I'm going to need five or ten seconds to get it on. Am I not allowed to do that anymore? Yeah, so what the law says is you, you, you hit the ball um, as soon as it gets to number eight, so you can keep it in the second row for as long as you want. You know, mm. If you're a skillful enough team, you think you're going to use this as a, uh, as a weapon, hook it, get it to the second row. You know, Saras do this really well. You know, They'll wait, they'll keep it in the second row. If they feel that they've got an edge, they'll then start moving it forward, okay. and they'll walk forward with a ball in the second row. But what was happening, and the reason why we're encouraging eights to move away, um, move the balls away, is it was getting to number eight. It was stopping. There was no movement whatsoever. Teams were trying to go. You know, there was huffing and puffing, waiting, and then they try and go again. And we're like, okay, you've had your chance now. You, you've had your chance. Now it's time to play away. But we don't want to get rid of the scrum and the attacking weapon. You know, um, that's why I still spend more days in coffee shops and wine bars with Phil Keith Roach trying to understand the scrum than uh, I do probably at home with a family. Sure, I'm, I'm, I'm sure that's that's right. That's what Polly said to me the other day. Actually, you're always talking about scrummage. Uh, okay, but 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 this just to clarify something. You're there for, to, to 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 referee the game. You're there to keep a big eye on safety, but you're not actually there to make it an attractive game. Because maybe I don't want an attractive game. I'm st- I'm stronger than the other team, so I actually want to play it fairly tight. Are you sure you're you're not now only giving teams one way to play? Now, it's always interesting when you come up against a team. You know, you, you think you play against someone like Wasps at the moment, um, and they're going to want quick ball. They're going to want to get it out 10, 12, 14, 15 as quickly as they can. You know you're going to come up against teams who say, well, we want to play a bit more direct. We want to pick mm. and go around the fringes. It's not for me to decide how a team plays. Okay. But what we've got to do is say, well, 
if you're going to play a pick and drive game the laws are really clear you can't just run in and everyone jump on top of the ball you know and stop a contest at the breakdown you've got to arrive up but we'll also say to the team who are trying to defend against a team who want to pick and drive you've got to be on side so you know we go into games really well prepared knowing what each team might um, you know, provide for that game. So if you if you're going to have a team who are going to play the ball away from um, eight all the time, you know, you know the teams who do that. You know, just from simply, you know looking at the last few games, you might think, well, they're going to hook the ball quickly, and so you're going to make sure that the defensive line of of the defence are five meters because they're going to want to get into that mm-hmm. that ten and that twelve earlier on. So we've got to prepare for every style of play. We prepare for specific teams. But it's not not for me to say what the right way play. You know, we all know what we enjoy. And growing up in Gloucestershire, there was nothing better than a wet driving mall um, over at the shed end. You know, that was always great to see. I'm glad you said that. In my opinion, the easiest thing to referee must be to put the putter in the scrum because you're standing there. It's so obvious. You've got a nice tunnel, and you can you can you can you can uh, work out what's halfway. Now, we know it doesn't work like that, but w- w- have we not gone too far now? Because you once told me that it's got to be. What's the word you use? Credible. Credible, Well, yeah. it's not credible. If I'm going to put the ball in, I take a big step to my right, then I turn sideways and I throw it under the, under the feet of the second row. What's yeah. happened to, to that? Yeah, look, well, this is the thing that we get asked about perhaps most when you're going around, you know, you go and sit in your local rugby club and someone, some old mm. boy will come up to you and put his arm around you and say, are you, when are you going to put the uh, ball in straight? And we understand that. And that was one of the things that we we definitely haven't done well over the last few years and this is one of the law changes which I think has helped us we're saying now to hookers they've got to hook the ball you know because what we're seeing is a ball just being rolled into the second row or even need into the second row so what we said is because the teams have a fr- infringed so one team's knocked on we'll give the team who are putting in the ball a bit of an advantage and by that we mean he can step with his shoulder so if the team tends to be on the loose head side his left shoulder the nine's left shoulder needs to be in line with that middle line hmm. so if you can imagine that he's then got to put the ball in straight not um, crooked as you said twisting your body to one side and hoying it into the second row but he's got to roll it in so the hooker then sweeps the ball backwards and what this ha- also helps is get the ball back to where eight or into the second row and win possession more quickly and I think we saw that in November we saw all of the um, the home nation teams hooking the ball mm-hmm. so they, they've adjusted to it nines are, are starting to adjust to it because you talk to some hookers they actually don't want it in now skew if they're trying to hook the ball they actually mm. want to be able to heal it properly and I think Six Nations you know, Six Nations last year the scrums weren't always great but hopefully this year with this introduction of the, the hook we should see the ball down the middle we should see um, the ball being hooked and there's pressure coming on from us from you know my international boss is Alan Roland the ex-Irish mm. um, test referee um, and he He's not just sweeping it to the side and saying, don't referee it. He's saying, this is one of your priorities. Go out and referee it. And again, back to the coaches. Coaches, when we sit in the room, will be saying, we want it hooked. You know, Eddie is one of the, the, the big advocates of it. Mm. You know, he, he had the ball being hooked in Japan. He's um, come into England and made the ball be hooked. Um, and he's saying, it's a law. Referee it. And the coaches have bought into that, and we've got to buy into that as well. Will he back you up? Will everybody back you up, though? If whoever's doing the the, the first game, first scrum, mm. when I th- I still think the scrum half turns to to a side, will he say, "Look, I've told you about that. It's a it's a free kick." It's always what we say to the coaches. You're asking us to referee this. Mm. If we referee this and it bites your team on the backside, are you going to support us? And unanimously, they always say, "Yeah." Okay. Okay. 
I hope, I hope that puts the test then in that case. You and I have spoken about rear feet offside. <laughs> uh, for instance, the, 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 uh, the, 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 the guards, the props, the defensive props um, are, are always a yard up at least uh, um, in front of the advantage line. I also get the impression that there's so many phases that teams hardly ever retreat beyond the advantage line before coming up for the next phase. <laughs> and, and, and also that, that uh, when teams are playing rush, the outside centre is so far up in front before the ball comes up, sorry, before the scrum half lifts the ball, that you might as well give him a jersey to the opposition. Now, your point is, and uh, I'm, your point was when we spoke about it, is that I'm wrong. And actually, people are, off, are onside. Yeah, look, I think a couple of things there, Steve. Um, first of all, we said if we want a decent game of rugby, we've got to create quick ball at the tackle. We can't have players lying all over the top of it. If teams get quick ball, then they're not going to do anything if they haven't got space to use it. So we've got to create space. And that means starting from the back foot, making sure those guards are on side so the nine isn't at scragged as soon as he picks up the ball, and then making sure those defences come off the line legally. Um, and one of our priorities has been and will be um, going into the Six Nations will be space. You've got to work hard to go after these guards to create space. Mm. Um, what always amazes me, I, I've, I've come off many a game, um, and there's certain teams who, you know, who have that rush defence, and Saracens are a good example of it, where you come off and you think, they must have been offside yeah. there. They must have been. And you know those are the teams who we've discussed, and, and you say, oh, come on, it must be the outside centre. You go down, you sit down, because we review the games every week in Twickenham. You know, I'll sit down with Spreader as my coach and um, Tony Spreadbury, the ex-international referee. We'll always look at it. I'll always say we need to just make sure that they're legal. And you freeze the point where that number nine picks up the ball, because that's mm -hmm. when the ball becomes out, as soon as it's lifted. Um, and then the amount of times that that 12 or 13 is offside, you can count on one hand. You, you, if you miss one a game, it's surprising because you've got your assistant referees out there having a look. You've got me saying, well, that ball's now lifted. And their timing, you know, and people like, um, you know, Andy Farrell over in Ireland now, he's got his teams defending legally. They'll give half a metre at the back, back foot and then they will rush. And so the t by the time the 10's got the ball, the 12 or the 13 is already in his opposite number's face. Mm -hmm. And it's unbelievable the skill that these teams, and you know, and the time and preparation they spend on it. Okay, so it's unbelievable skill, not not not, not miles offside. I, I, I respect what, totally what you say. I, I still think that uh, considering the number of breakdowns and the number of opportunities to be offside, the number of penalties that are given in the course of a season on so vital a rule is, t is very, very low. It's very, very low. But you're saying they're just being professional in there? Yeah, last, last weekend I was over in Ulster, um, Ulster versus La Rochelle and we penalised La Rochelle three times in the first half for offside and it, it tended to be that guard as you said you yeah. know just halfway up and then just putting pressure on the nine my ARs were saying you've got to put pressure on them now mm. we spoke to them after three penalties and said look you're, you're shutting down the space you want to play an open and free-flowing game you've got to open up the space um, and they went in at half time and they adjusted and they were half a metre behind the, um, the, the the back foot at that point and we've got to um, officiate that and we've got to referee that and that's what we did on that day um, and we created more space in the second half Do you trust your every assistant referee do you have to put your trust in them because there is so much for you to look at do you have to trust your assistant referees to call offside Yeah it's like um, talking asking a, a 10 do you trust your 9 you know that, that relationship is so special on, on the pitch and it's so special between us not just the assistant referees as well it's a, it's a team of four you know with the TMO as well mm. these days 
you know, they're in a really good position to see if a player has never got back on site, to use one of your kind of questions. The difficult ones for them is just knowing when the ball's lifted. So obviously they're looking across the line to see um, if the ball's lifted and then they're offside. But an assistant referee comes in and says to me, Barnsley, they're offside. Yeah. He's certain. He's not saying I'm guessing it. He's saying yeah. I'm 100% certain here and I will take that. Hundred percent at a time. Okay, but if he says that, would you? Do you just? Uh, did he tell you that at the next breakdown, or will you blow the whistle there and then? He'll tell me live. I'll stick my arm out, say play advantage, right. and we'll go back, and he'll tell me where. And that's that has to be right for the team of four. You can't be second guessing, thinking, oh, do I trust him? Do I not? You know, we know each other so well. You know, first weekend, France versus Ireland. Me and Nigel Owens are, are working together. Nigel right. in the middle, me on the touchline. Um, you know, Nigel and I have probably run touch for each other fifty odd times. Mm. He sang at my wedding. Mm. Um, you what know, did he sing? Um, oh, that's a good one. Um, How great thou art! Um, he did. He did the English version well than the Welsh version. Okay. Up, up in the um, up in the chapel in Lincoln's Inn. Oh, amazing! He's um, amazing bloke. Yeah, he's a fantastic, yeah. fantastic friend, fantastic bloke, sure. bloody good singer as well. Okay, those are the relationships that we have. You know, and you get to know each other. And so, you know, when I call in offside, or if I call in offside, France versus Ireland. He'll take it. He'll say, mm. "Well, of course, I, of course, I trust him." You know, that's the trust that we've built up over years. What about um, the, the vex question, the breakdown? Um, just for people who are watching on TV and, and not breakdown experts, etc. What, what have they got to look for in terms of people staying legal? And, and what's the what are the first things that you look for when there's a breakdown? So, first thing is always clearing the tackle area. So, you have a tackle. Sometimes really easy because the tackle, tackling player, the bloke who makes a tackle, falls the, the correct side, so he's got his back towards his own try line. Often though, particularly with offensive tackles, where they've won that contest, they will fall towards the ball and f towards the opposition's uh, try line. We've got to get him out of the way really quickly because mm. if he slows Nine's ball down, if Nine gets there and he's got to step, up, step over a player who's there or he's got to pick up a body and move the ball, they've already done the damage. So the first thing we always look for is that channel, Nine's channel being cleared. So you would expect a few penalties in a game for that because any doubt, we'd say get out of the way. Don't, mm. don't be lying there. Um, even, but you are saying there's a certain dispensation for a guy who's made a, ha a tackle, won the contest, and he just happens to come down on the other side. Yeah. So he's got to really get away quickly before his, the opposition come in. Yeah, exactly. Right. So, you know, and if you think about it, if you get a dominant tackle, he's going to have an extra half second anyway because the defence, uh, the attack probably have to come around that extra half mm. second to get in a decent position. But so we're saying. Once you fall on the wrong side, don't just lay there. Do something positive and don't roll into nine. Don't trip nine up as you roll away. So always our priority is getting that tackler out of the way. And next we're looking at how the players arrive. So you take that offensive tackle, um, def uh, the attacking team under a bit of pressure. What we don't want them doing then is all jumping on the ball, mm. you know, stopping a contest. Mm. So we want them arriving. You know, you've heard talk about arriving up, planes arriving up. So that kind of positive body shape to make sure that they're doing something positive. So how do players arrive, both in attack but defenders? Defenders who want to go and get the ball, you know, those great sevens, mm. you know, the Pococks, you know, um, the Hoopers from Australia, you know, are straight on the ball almost instantaneously. But we want them in a position where they can maintain their body weight. So it's not, you know, flat like a pancake and then running their feet underneath them. It's going straight on the ball, contesting the ball, trying to turn it over that way. So we're looking for tacklers getting out of the way and then arriving players staying on their feet. And then have a bit of a competition for the ball. If the player gets cleaned out, 
then we play on. The ball's available. He's done his job. He's slowed it. If he's still tugging on the ball two, three seconds later, he probably deserves a bit of reward of a turnover. Hmm. Um, but, but what if the ruck's been formed, though? After three seconds, there might be a ruck formed. As long as he's got his hands on there before ruck's formed, he can stay on there all day. Right. Okay. Um, obviously, he probably should get a penalty after a couple of seconds. But what we'd say, um, get his hands on the ball. He can keep them on there until either he's taken off the ball by you know just being losing that competition or he comes up with the ball and just turns it over or he gets a holding on penalty but he can keep his hands on there and even if a ruck then forms around him but when the, but do you think that actually the jackler gets too much of the benefit of the doubt because the man in the street if i if i try and stand stat or just sort of bend down and actually i've got my hands out there and i'm sort of leaning forward and trying to pull the ball on my sort of central core would collapse in about one second are you sure? Are we sure that these none of these jacklers are actually taking a a nice uh, uh, ride on on bodies? Well, I'm not going to comment about your central core, Stephen, <laughs> oh but um, I reckon do. <laughs> you have a look at some of these these talented players around international um, at the moment. You know that that seven who's um, just come into the squad um, at, from Scarlets, the da- Davis, one of the yeah. Davis brothers, James yeah, Davis. James Davis. He he's not the tallest. But geez, you can get low to the low to the floor. You know, you take a Tipperick, you take a you know the, the Scottish, the Barclays, the O'Briens, all these you know the Underhills, the Robshaw, all these players that we're going to see over the next couple of weeks. They have immense core strength. Sure. Um, now, what what we can't have, you know, if their feet are you know six feet behind their hands, then they're probably not supporting their body weight. Um, but if they're in a strong position, and we're looking at that, you know, almost upside down V, aren't we? Kind yeah. of position, then. They train for this. They are so skillful at this. Um, and not only do they have to get in that body position, they have to withstand someone coming in, trying to move them out of the way by grabbing them, trying to roll them, hitting them backwards. And if they stay on that ball, they probably deserve a bit of reward there. IRB, Will Robinson and became they, they, they at one stage cracked down on, because in the Super 12, they just wanted continuity of possession. But, but what you're saying is, you want continuity of play. You're not trying to keep the guy in yeah. the team in possession to to keep it and infinitum. Yeah, we want we want to reward good skill and good skill is getting your hands on the ball. You know, picking up the ball, surviving that clean out, and turning it over, and giving it your nine. You know, nothing. We see New Zealand. How, how many tries do they score off a, a quick turnover where you know two passes and then the wingers in. You know, so we want to reward that good skill, and we want also reward it by penalty if he's still holding on, and they haven't um, cleaned him out. So that 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 should be rewarded as good as you know a team who just keep hold of possession. You're listening to the Ruck a special today. Uh, we'll be back in a minute. Six nations and six amazing chances to win an unforgettable adventure for you and five mates in a Six Nations European host city of your choice. To take part, enter online now at greenking.co.uk slash rugby. Six nations, six mates and six international rugby getaways worth £3,000. Scrum down and sign up to win at greenking.co.uk slash rugby and watch all the Six Nations action live at your local Green King pub. Terms and conditions apply 18 plus drinkaware.co.uk. Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both, 
in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. The Ruck Podcast is proud to be sponsored by Funding Circle and Saracens, British and Irish Lions and England hooker Jamie George is with me to explain how Funding Circle are supporting small and medium-sized UK businesses because Jamie, you, as well as being a rugby player, are also a small business owner. Yeah, I own a business with uh, a good school friend of mine, Reese Carter. It's called Carter and George. We're a physiotherapy business. Uh, we've been up and running for about six years now and sort of our strap line is delivering the same level of care I get as a professional sportsman to the general public. If you're looking to improve different parts of your business or hire talent with extra know-how, Funding Circle provides finance that backs you and your business to succeed. Jamie, you want to do the sign-off for us? Absolutely. Funding Circle, business finance that backs you. Visit FundingCircle.com to find out how I'm growing my business backed by Funding Circle. Wayne, as well as all your responsibilities, you're now responsible for the safety of players if you didn't have enough um, on your plate. There's something called the seatbelt tackle, which has now come in. And I'm looking all throughout the law book. I can't find it in there. How do things appear out of nowhere um, when they're not laws? Because that sounds like you're making up the law as you go along in your meetings. Well, I I don't reckon this came from referee. I reckon this came from Ben Kay. I reckon he, I was listening to BT one night and he started to call it a, a seatbelt tackle. And now everyone else has started to call it a seatbelt tackle. And even I've heard referees calling it a seatbelt tackle on, on TV. Um, I guess it's it's just one of those you know terms that comes into rugby. You know, I, many a time I've been um, spoken at by Brian Moore who's told me there's nothing like a hit. Where's the hit in a book for a scrummage? I'm like, I understand, Brian. I won't use it anymore. Yeah. So a seatbelt tackle is just, I guess it's a terminology that started to come in where... You know, someone will go over the top of the shoulder, catch the neck as part of that making a tackle, and it's been termed a seatbelt tackle. But I'll give you an assurance, Stephen, I won't use it from now on. Good man. We'll be, mon- we'll be monitoring that carefully. On a serious note, high tackles and people being taken out in the air, it no longer, uh, to be penalised, I no longer have to be, um, I don't even have to be, as, as well as not being, a, uh, don't have to be illegal, I don't even have to have any sort of intent to cause harm, and I don't have to be reckless. I can come up and purely for because of the angle of the two players, I can be penalised and also red carded, can't I? So, I th- so split them into two if we can. So we got the high tackles. You remember last year there was this change in kind of terminology which came from world rugby, and everyone was petrified we were going to see you know red and yellow cards spoiling the Six Nations. Mm. Wasn't one yellow or red card in the Six Nations mm. for a high tackle last year, which was um, great to see, and it probably meant that players changed the way that they tackled, you know, and. Um, you, you listen to how some of the defensive coaches were coaching. They were saying, you know, we're going to tackle a bit lower. We're going to go in without a swinging arm, maybe a swinging lower arm. So we saw a change in that. And what we were saying to players is just protect your, your opposite man. Don't go hitting ball or above height in a tackle. Hit below the ball. Um, mm. So if a player just ducks slightly, of course you're not intending to hit him high, but you did. Mm. You know, and they can do some damage. You know, you get a shoulder into the head, you know, you're going to cause a lot of damage. So we've got that with high tackles. What we're saying is tackle lo- lower and you're not going to hit someone in the head. 
Um, and then the man in the air is a slightly different one. You've got to know that if you kick the ball up in the air and start chasing it, a fullback is going to jump up and catch it. So you can't just keep your eyes closed and run straight through um, mm. a player who's jumping. You've got to be aware that someone's going to go into the air. We're not saying don't contest the ball. You know, look at Israel Falau. You know, look at Mike Brown. You know, some of the great players who kick the ball up and go and challenge. And there's nothing better that gets you know the people off their seats at Twickenham. You know, where you know Brownie kicks a ball up in the air, runs, chases it, leaps in the air like a salmon, catches the ball, and carries on running. It's a great piece of skill, and again, it should be rewarded. But what we're saying is, you know, we go back. I guess it was a four or five years ago when Ulster played Saracens and Jared Payne went underneath um, hmm. Alex Good. Um, mm. where Alex went up in the air, Jared just ran through, didn't intend to do it at all, mm. but Alex fell on his head and went off in a stretcher. Sure. So we're saying sure. you've got to be aware that if you kick the ball up in the air, um, that a player's going to go up in the air. So either go up and contest, so you're not then making that pivot point of where the player's going to spin, you're going to go shoulder to shoulder if you hit him, or wait till he lands and then drive him backwards. Just make a decision early on. OK, let me tell you the thing that drives me the most nuts, the chat show. Everybody's talking. <laughs> everybody's talking, everybody's appealing, everybody's arguing. Now, you, you've got this gift of being able to referee 30 blokes under pressure and still go around telling everybody of those 30 why you made the decision you did, which is very, very, which is just maestro stuff. But you can blow your whistle, you can take people back 10 yards, and everyone's got to shut up. And you can do that for anyone chatting. And, and there's a difference between chatting and asking for clarification. Anyone chatting, anyone appealing, even if it's the outside centre, you can blow the whistle, send them back 10 yards. Why don't you use that? I think we're seeing it more. It's something that um, Premier Rugby is really um, keen for us as uh, premiership referees to highlight. And we've gone into the clubs and coaches um, and said from the start of the season, look, if we get players appealing, if we get players constantly waving their arms in the air, don't be surprised if you go back 10 metres and it keeps on going, we'll get rid of someone. Mm. Um, and so we have seen an increase in the amount of penalties and the amount of um, you know, plus 10s. Um, we still want to have that relationship with a player. We still want to be able to say to him, Look, I understand you might be a bit frustrated, but there's no need to shout at me. You know, I but hasn't he got to work on the relationship as well as you? Uh, why, why is it the only relationship? Only one person's putting any effort no, into it. No, I, I agree. And you know, when you get a player who then does it again, then he shouldn't be surprised when he goes back ten. And you know, often you'll say, "Look, come on, mate, I haven't shouted at you like that all game." And he'll say, "Yeah, get your point." And that's mm. it. That's done. It's nipped in the bud. And that's okay. Um, but when you get teams you constantly want to chirp or constantly want to appeal, then we have to draw a line in the sand because you know what makes our game special, and I think why we want our kids to play it, and we you know we mm. want our sponsors want to get involved in it is the, the core values of it. And one of the core values is that you know there's that respect between the players and the referees, and you know, and we don't want people shouting and screaming at the referee for 80 minutes. We want his decision, her decision, to be final. Of course, a clarification because that again what makes it special. We said we'd do it in the Premiership. We said we'd do it in Europe. You know, this weekend someone came to me um, in the Scarlets game and asked for a yellow card for an opposition number. Mm -hmm. And I said to him, well, right. yeah. you know, if you want that, you can have the card, not him. Mm -hmm. um, I think we, we have to make sure that that doesn't creep into the game. Definitely. And if we see it in the Six Nations, I know again that when we meet um, as with the coaches on Wednesday and when we meet as the international refs the following week, we will be saying we've got to protect what's special about our game. Um, and, you know, we're custodians of it as referees. Just taking you back when you played in the Forest of Dean um, and, and when when you started your career there, we saw this thing called a ruck. <laughs> um, people used to dr drive into the breakdown 
very few people lay on the ground, as we know, because I don't, I'm not saying they were deliberately stamped, but they were likely to get some studs because they were lying on the ground and they tended not to do it. When you consider how many problems would be alleviated with the return of the ruck, it's incredible. You wouldn't have to have a boring round the corner, round the corner. The jackal probably you know, wouldn't, wouldn't, wouldn't be a factor. And also, because teams had to commit to the ruck to drive it forward, you wouldn't have the, 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 the field wouldn't be crowded with people. Do you ever see a day when we have a proper ruck? And I don't mean kick it in the head. I mean a ruck that can be policed, driving over the top, quick ball. I was down in Lydney this weekend, actually, Steve, um, down at the rugby club at a friend's 40th party, and I was having a similar discussion with some people down there. Said, I think they just wanted to kick people again, mine. I don't think it was anything to do with open, free, fast rugby. I think we've got to police it as referees. As I go back to that tackle conversation, if we clear the breakdowns so and nine's ball is available, then we're doing our job, we're doing our part, and we don't need to go back to the days where if someone falls on the wrong side, everyone runs over them, because people saw that, you know, and we saw the scars on Delalio's back at the end of that Lions um, game back mm. in, or New Zealand game back in 2000, and whenever it was. You know, we want this to be an all-inclusive game. We want, you know, our kids to play it. We want, you know, um, mums and dads to look at a game on TV and say, yeah, that's the kind of game I want my kids to play. And I don't think that running over the top of people is that kind of game. But that means we've there's a huge onus on us as referees to say, anyone on the wrong side, we're going to penalise them if they stay there. Anyone who continues on the wrong side, they can go and have a rest for 10 minutes. We won't allow it. We're not going to say, well, you know, he's just fallen the wrong way. And that's why, you know, whenever we sit down, tackle is always the key and the tackler rolling away is always the key. So um, though I still have some wonderful memories of, you know, Breen versus Burial Darby's, you know, and people coming off afterwards, you know, can't slap each other on the back because it's too sore. Um, you know, I think those days are gone, and you know, I'm quite glad I still play once a year. That it's it has gone, if I'm honest. Fair enough. You're in the 70s now, when in terms of internationals, do you think the three figures is possible? Oh, um, <laughs> if you'd have asked me when I did the first one, which is Six Nations actually, it's quite yeah. nice. Um, this year, France versus um, Italy, I'm doing, uh, and, and then I, Ireland, Scotland. Yeah, and then yeah. Ireland, Scotland. France and Italy was my first Six Nations back in 2007. If you'd have asked me if I'd have got to. You know, double figures back then, it would have been a surprise. I do 50 into pass. Chris um, was extremely special, and you know, 70 mm. odd now. Again, it just means I'm getting old. Oh, it's a long way off. You know, um, I'm looking forward to this Six Nations. The next World Cup's only, you know, 18 months away now. If I can get to that, that'll be my fourth World Cup. That'll be a, a special time, um, you know, make some special friends, see some a fantastic country in Japan. Um, we'll see what happens after that. And um, do you still love it? I love it a bit. Is that the wrong word? I love it a bit. Um, I, I'm really excited now, knowing that you know we're ten days out out from the greatest rugby competition, you know, annual competition in the world. Um, I'm off to Paris. I'm off to Marseille. I'm off to Dublin. I'm off to um, Cardiff. You know, does it get better? From you know, think of a rugby fan if you had those four trips. I'm going to be standing in the middle of the pitch listening to those anthems. Um, it's um, and I get to work with the best coaches, the best best players, and you know, and I get to meet my mates who are the best refs in the world as well. It's a pretty lucky job, and I get to meet you, Jonesy. Obviously, I, I know, you know, I know. Well, it, that, that, it, it took took time for me to talk back to you, but uh, in the end, I graciously consented. Uh, Wayne Barnes, you've, I know you're incredibly busy with all your jobs. I worked out the other day the money you've probably lost by not being a full-time barrister. <laughs> and it's more than I can ever earn, that's for sure. But, you just um, remind the RFU of that, Steve. I'm, I'm going to do it as soon as I <laughs> left the studio. And just a final note, you can don't forget to subscribe to us via iTunes. You can leave a message for us or response to us on iTunes as well. 
or else we have our own um, site note that you can write to uh, for all comments, all good and bad. It's the ruck at thetimes.co.uk. I'll be writing it onto that now, Steve. Don't worry. <laughs> Wayne Barnes, thanks very much for coming in. We wish you um, every all the best with your two games in the Six Nations and definitely into the next World Cup and hopefully beyond. Thanks a million. Thanks, Steve. Thanks for listening to the Ruck Podcast. We're delighted to be teaming up with Funding Circle. And Funding Circle Ambassador Jamie George is with me. All right, Jamie? Hello. Hello. How are you? All good. Good, good. So away from Saracens and England duty, you are a business owner. And Funding Circle is a huge supporter of small and medium-sized UK businesses. How have they helped you? Yeah, so uh, I've got a business with a friend of mine. It's a physiotherapy business, effectively delivering the same level of care I get as a professional sportsman to the general public. And we've been looking to expand and grow the business as quickly as we can. And with the financial products that Funding Circle have done, we wouldn't have been able to do it without them. So Funding Circle has been supporting small businesses with access to the finance they need to grow since 2010. And they know that like rugby, running a business takes hard work, drive and a good team supporting you. If you want to invest in your business and take your team to the next level, Funding Circle provides finance that backs you and your business to succeed. Visit FundingCircle.com to find out how Jamie is growing his business backed by Funding Circle. Jamie, can you do the honours? Funding Circle, business finance that backs you. The biggest rugby tournament of the year is coming to a Green King pub near you. Watch all the unmissable action live as Europe's top six battle it out for glory in the Six Nations tournament. In and out, in and out, for the line! Leave your rivalries at the door and get their team together to watch the Six Nations. Feel the excitement and the buzz of coming together to enjoy matchday food and drink at your nearest Green King sports pub. Scores in the corner! The Six Nations and Green King. 18 plus drinkaware.co.uk. 